Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, March 28, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have only two spots available for our May Pleiadian lineup, Starseed Quest. This Starseed Gathering is a soul family reunion in Arkansas, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all starseeds to their next level of activation in the most powerful crystal energy on the planet. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your starseed family, you can still register for our Pleiadian lineup gathering, which is May 19th through the 22nd, and uh, write to crystals, that's plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com. Well, last week was Starseed Radio Academy's seventh anniversary, and it has been our great honor to present you with the outstanding work of many authors and metaphysicians, as well as the galactic light information that Lavendar has gathered over her 30 years of assignments with the Pleiadians. We have a great show for you tonight with part two of Conversations from Lavendar's Vault. We aired part one on March 7th, just before we left her Arkansas. This interview covers a variety of galactic topies, topics, <laughs> and it reveals enlightening information that Lavendar has kept in her bank vault for decades. This was first aired two years ago, and even if you've heard this before, there are codes within it that you may have missed the first time. And if you haven't visited our Vault of Knowledge on our site, starseedhotline.com, there's a great deal of information there to help starseeds go forward in their missions, and nearly all of it came from Lavendar's Vault. Because our presentation tonight was pre-recorded, we won't be taking any questions afterwards. We have a Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any of our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, whether for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want the interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in because we do have a waiting list. So uh, first this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia. Well, good evening, Ariel. It is great to be back with you and the listeners. 
<clears throat> excuse me, here in the springtime when the leaves are budding out on the trees. How exciting is that? Robins and uh, springtime, my favorite time. We love it. I like all time. Me too. Here. Isn't it great? It's just great. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot going on in the weeks that we've been apart, so we'll just have to try to summarize it as best we can. And, uh, you know, last week the sunspot counts on the sun hit a seven-year low. The face of the sun was blank, meaning no sunspots for 13 consecutive days. And the last time this happened was in April of 2010. They say it was near the end of an historically deep solar minimum. The current stretch of the blank sun heralds a new solar minimum that's expected to arrive about 2019-2020, a few years from now. And right now, today, a geomagnetic Class II storm is underway. Well, we've had a few earthquakes this past week, just within a couple of days. Actually, yesterday, two earthquakes struck China. One was a magnitude 5.0. That was east of Shimon, China. I'm sure I didn't say that right. And then, uh, also on yesterday, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake in Yunnan, China. It affected about 9,000 people. And according to media reports, the earthquake had impacted... Uh, uh, even more, in a, in a, they say 9,000, and they say 15,800, so I'm not sure which. Anyway, <laughs> uh, quite a few thousands, let's put it that way. They say the consequences of that are still being addressed. There was some damage. People were driven from their homes. Um, it did affect utilities, so that's what's happening there. And we did have a 6.1 magnitude uh, west of Attu Station in Alaska. This happened yesterday as well. Well, I got a letter from a Starseed listener, Dawn, and uh, she wanted to call our attention to something I think is of relative importance. It's about a bill uh, being uh, proposed in Congress uh, that would allow any employer to get an employee's genetic test results. Not only that, but as I read the contents of this article, um, it's indicated that they would also be able to force an employee Uh, to forfeit the genetic testing of family members. Now, this is currently uh, a prohibited practice because genetic information is protected under privacy laws. However, uh, they're thinking about changing that, and it is done under the ruse of workplace health, uh, workplace health activities, activities geared, quote-unquote, to make workers more healthy. So anyway, Dawn says... Uh, Anastasia, I'm thinking folks may want to touch base with their representatives about this, and maybe we could get this bill killed in committee. Where you want to go to find out more about this is www.msn.com. In the search box, uh, write the words, type the words, House Republicans would let employers demand workers' genetic test results. So check that out. I tell you, they just never stop. But we can stop them. So Don's encouraging those who are so motivated to contact their representatives, which I think is an excellent, excellent idea. Well, another Starseed listener sent me this article, and I want to thank all of you, by the way. You've just been great troopers. I've gotten a number of great articles from a number of you, and thank you so much for this. This is amazing. Uh, This is about scientists working on invisible cloak technology. There's a company in British Columbia. It's called Hyperstealth Biotechnology, and it's developed a technique called quantum stealth, which is, of course, a type of camouflage that bends light 
around the wear of an object to create the illusion of invisibility. Now, I'm going to make an editorial comment here stating that they have been doing this for 25 years. Um, DARPA, other agencies have been working on this very same or similar types of technology. But this uh, British Columbia company um, is using a, uh, a type of, uh, what, stealth technology um, that not only bends light around objects to disguise things, but um, it says that it hides events. Let me see if I can read this. It can hide events in the path of a continuous light beam by ha- having several holes in time. What? They're messing, they're messing with time. The article goes on to say that researchers were able to cloak nearly half of the data, and this is data, mind you, uh, put in the beam's path, which they would otherwise be able to detect. If you want to read more about this, it's published in the journal Nature. Um, <clears throat> they're also doing a uh, uh, stealth technology which allows them to create invisibility to hide objects over a wide range of frequencies. And one of the ways that they're going to do this, uh, instead of trying to cloak something with a thick metamaterial shell, they want to surround it with a layer of tiny antennas. And that layer of antennas radiates back a field that cancels the reflections, the light reflections from the object. Now, there's another breakthrough that happened in China in 2013, where Chinese scientists were able to make both a fish and a cat invisible by bending light around the animals. So, for a long time, scientists have said that, you know, a Harry Potter invisibility cloak was impossible, but now it's turning out that wrong they're they're doing it wow <clears throat> and they're doing this for military applications which you know come on come on come on let's why are we letting them do this okay they take our money and they do all of this stuff and then uh keep it for themselves and we we'll ultimately are the ones that will suffer from that well, there's a news Mars photo out, a new, excuse me, new, brand new Mars photograph that shows countless worm-like dunes on that red planet. It's a newly released image from the surface of Mars that's revealed an abundance of odd, squiggly, worm-shaped dunes around the red planet's southern hemisphere. And the dunes are scattered across Mars' sandy surface, and the newly released NASA photo shows just how odd the formations look when snapped from above by orbit. The picture was taken by the space agency's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it shows a huge collection of dunes just west of the Hellas Impact Basin. It's one of the red planet's largest and most recognizable impact basins. If you want to find out more, Google that. Worm-like dunes on Mars, and check out the photos. Amazing stuff. I'm waiting for them to find something that is really sensational, though. And I imagine they might have, but, of course, they're not telling us about it. (laughs) Not telling us about it. No, they're not telling us about it. Don't you just love it, guys? Well, NASA's Curiosity rover um, has been focusing on the ground of Mars, you know, they've got the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, and now they've, they've also got NARS, uh, excuse me, NASA's Curiosity rover, and it's on the ground, and it's uh, investigating the dirt and the ground features. 
Well, every few days, this little SUV-sized robot uh, shifts its sights up to the clouds. So they rotate the camera upward. And well into its fifth year, this rover has now shot more than 500 movies of the clouds on Mars. And they've obtained the first ground-based view of Martian clouds shaped by gravity waves. And researchers have reported that this week at the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference. Well, I just want to insert here that gravity waves are common atmospheric ripples on Earth that result from air trying to regain its vertical balance. And these gravity waves should not be confused with gravitational waves, which are cosmic ripples in space-time. Okay. Well, anyway, they are amazed because there are gravity waves on Mars, and the shots are the best record yet of that mysterious recurring belt of equatorial clouds known to influence the Martian climate. They're finding out all kinds of stuff up there. I wonder what else they're doing. I mean, my goodness, just think about it. Okay, moving onward. A UFO has been reported in the Gulf of Mexico. An engineer said he saw the large craft hovering near the oil rig. And uh, this was a crew member of an offshore offshore supply vessel in the Gulf of Mexico who claims he saw a UFO five times the size of his vessel. And UFO trackers are now looking for more witnesses to come forward with any information that might be related to this sighting. The UFO reportedly occurred last Tuesday in the Gulf of Mexico, about 80 miles southwest of New Orleans. A sighting was submitted to the National UFO Reporting Center, and... um, that the engineer that reported it said that close to 7 p.m., just before dusk, he and four of the crew members aboard the vessel saw a craft that appeared to be five times our 240-foot vessel in length. It's over 1,000 feet. The man goes on to say, my line of sight was about one-quarter mile from our vessel. There was a rig behind the craft about a half a mile. He said the sighting was approximately, again, 80 miles southeast of New Orleans. They say the scene lasted only about 40 seconds. The craft rose up out of the water, meaning the Gulf of Mexico, at about 40 feet, and no water was dripping from the craft. Within a split second, the craft disappeared at a 30-degree angle into the sky. He said the speed appeared to be faster than the speed of a light turning on in a room, and within seconds, it had disappeared completely. So they're asking for witnesses to come forward. Did you see a UFO in the Gulf of Mexico earlier or late early last week on Tuesday? Uh, report the uh, report that at the UFO Reporting Center if you saw it. Uh, I have a friend that comes over occasionally, and uh, she comes to visit. And when she, when she comes, she brings a bag of chicken nuggets. <laughs> She likes to eat chicken nuggets. I turn my nose up at that, knowing what they are. But it's getting worse. Uh, A San Francisco Bay Area food technology company called Memphis Meats recently finished their their lab-grown chicken, chicken grown in a laboratory. They fried it into chicken strips and fed it to people at an event. And this chicken quote, unquote, was produced from stem cells programmed to reproduce animal tissue. The article goes on to say that this could be considered the second recent node of progress when it comes to cultured lab-grown meat, 
after a lab produced hamburger uh, that was tested a few years ago. A headline uh, from a particular website cheered this achievement, saying, Lucky humans just ate the very first lab-grown chicken tenders. <laughs> this was made from animal cells. Now, right now, the, cus- the company estimates that it costs just under $9,000 to make one pound of the meat. But this company expects that the price should be com- coming down in the next several years and let them offer their products to the public by 2021, according to Business Insider. Oh, yum. 2021. Wow. You know... Mark my words, that's four years away. They'll be serving it up at restaurants. And this is a, a, a news article that I thought, oh, shoot. Do you know what I was doing when I, when I found this article? I was eating chocolate. And here's the headline. Toxic heavy metals in your chocolate. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you should have seen Anastasia with her mouth full of chocolate as she read this headline. <laughs> I, I bet it was interesting. Uh, this comes from a website called, and you all ought to, ought to know about this. It's named asyousow.org, A-S-Y-O-U-S-O-W.org. Well, the article says that if you have a sweet tooth, you may have read studies talking about the health benefits associated with eating moderate amounts of chocolate, but our research has found a potential health risk in popular chocolate products that's been flying under the radar, and that is that some chocolate contains toxic metals like lead and cadmium. It goes on to say that As You Sew website conducted independent laboratory testing of 70 chocolate products for lead and cadmium. They found that 45 of those 70 samples contain lead and or cadmium above the the safe threshold of California's Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Environment Act. This company, this website, filed notices with 18 manufacturers, including Trader Joe's, Hershey's, Mondelez, Lint, Whole Foods, Kroger, Godiva, Seas Candies, Mars, Theo Chocolate, Equal Exchange, Girardelli, Earth Circle Organics, and more for failing to provide the legally required warning to consumers that the products contain cadmium or lead or both. If you want to find out more information or read the entire list, go to www.asyousow.org. Who would have thought that? Lead and cadmium in chocolate. But there you have oh, it. That's pathetic. That, Even organic. That's pathetic. You know, I don't, didn't say that. Didn't, didn't say whether that was true or not, although they did mention uh, Trader Joe's, etc. but not everything, Trader and Whole Foods. They don't always sell all organic, as you well know. So anyway, check that out, everybody. I think that's, um, wow, that's striking low to us chocolate lovers. That's, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, anything, but don't tamper with our chocolate. Well, there it is. Well, here is a fascinating story about tissue engineering of a different kind. Not animals grown from tissue in a lab, but scientists turning the spinach leaf into working heart tissue. Yeah, really. 
Researchers have managed to turn a spinach leaf into working heart tissue and are on the way to solving the problem of recreating the tiny branching networks of blood vessels in human tissue. Capillaries. Until now, scientists have unsuccessfully tried to use 3D printing to recreate these intricate networks of uh, blood uh, flow. But now with this breakthrough, it seems that turning plants with their delicate veins into human tissue could be the key to delivering blood via a vascular system into the new tissue. Scientists have managed in the past to create small-scale artificial samples of human tissue, but they have struggled to create it on a large scale, which is what would be needed to treat any type of heart injury. And researchers are suggesting that eventually this technique can be used to grow back layers of healthy heart muscle to treat patients who have had a heart attack. What do you think about that? Uh, 3D printing, making a, a, a lattice work for blood flow through a spinach leaf. What a wild world. Well, I've often made a joke about bacon and and how bacon seems to attract men. Uh, if if the, the smell of bacon, men love bacon. Uh, on occasion over the years, I would be frying up bacon in the kitchen. Maybe the kitchen window would be open and the neighbors would... <laughs> Snip it out. I've actually had men out mowing the lawn. Oh, I smell that you're cooking bacon. Men love bacon. Here's one for you. I often said, you know, we should make a perfume out of bacon. I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> well, uh, seriously, seriously. Well, now there's a new perfume out called Oud Kitty. And it is uh, a kitten fur fragrance. Uh, this comes from Live Science, by the way, and the article says that our sense of smell plays an important role in how we interpret the world around us. And for people who love cats, there are few scents as welcome as the smell of the soft fur on a kitten's head. Now, that delectable scent is now available in a bottle. The perfume company Demeter Fragrance Library, or DFL, recently announced the release of a new fragrance dubbed Kitten Fur. And they say... The perfume captures the olfactory essence of the warmth and comfort of that perfect spot just behind a kitten's neck, according to their product description. Now, kitten fur joins a range of Demeter scents that are inspired by the natural world, including giant sequoia, mountain air, grass, dirt, and earthworm. Now, kitten fur was by far the most requested fragrance by DFL customers, which was, incidentally, here it comes, guys, this is what Anastasia has been saying for 30 years, closely followed by bacon. <laughs> but here's one I didn't suggest. Puppy's breath, both of which are still in development, according to the company. Now, I never thought puppy's breath would make a good perfume, but that they're making it. Bacon and puppy's breath, kitten fur, grass, dirt, and earthworm. Well, they say that they spent 15 years working on kitten fur before the scent finally clicked. And... Um, they say that before kitten fur, there'd only been one other animal essence in their perfume lineup, and that was a scent called New Baby. Now, the New Baby smell is known to trigger dopamine surges in new mothers when produced by a real newborn. And they said that the New Baby was a challenge to make, uh, but they have made it, and uh, so that's also available. It's on their website, New Baby Smell. Well, anyway... What exactly does a kitten smell like? 
the uh, makers of the perfume says, quote, say, quote, almost like a combination of skin and sunshine, according to Cranes. So if you'd like to smell kitten fur, you may go to the DFL <laughs> website and buy a cologne, a perfume, shower gel, or body oil. But if you're looking for bacon, it's not on there yet. I checked. <laughs> bacon and puppy's breath is still under development, and that's really legitimate. Um, they've got a pretty nice little website, and uh, so if you want to smell like mountain air or fresh-cut grass, that's the place to go. But isn't that wild? Yeah. And you know, I got thinking about the time I've held kittens. They really do smell quite yummy. They do have. I thought the description uh, by the manufacturer was very accurate. Um, they do smell like sunshine and a little bit of sweet skin. So there you go. That's it for tonight's news, Ariel. We're out of time. But um, we'll be back again next week with more Starseed News. And thank you, everybody, that contributed to the show tonight. You did a great job. We had some important articles from our listeners. And uh, so I'm going to turn it back over to you, Ariel, and we'll see you next week. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Anastasia. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about the chocolate and and smelling like a kitten. I'm sorry, it's going to linger. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for bringing sure. us the first aid news. Okay, I love you we'll all. talk to you. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. So um, with that, um, I just want to real quickly um, say to Lavendar. Hey, Lavendar. Um, I just want to tell you what a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Um, I mean, you know it was wonderful, but I just wanted to say publicly that you were so on it, and uh, it was one of the best, one of the best events ever. So thank you, Lavendar. Just wanted really, to tell you that. I really enjoyed it, and I noticed that the the group that came seemed to have. Um, a resonance of alignment that I hadn't seen before with with any other group. So I think that's one of the contributing factors to how well the the uh, weekend went. Was everyone was so into alignment, and that was a really wonderful experience for me personally. Well, so it I'm is. I'm really it's, looking it's forward a, to the one in May. Are we full in May, or do we, we have, have two, any openings? We have two spots left. Um, okay. One of them's a little iffy, but. Um, yeah, we do have we do have two spots left, but we have another great group with lots of alumni. We have every group probably close to half or even more of of alumni that come back. So um, we appreciate them so much. They're like part of the family now. Yeah. So well, I'm really um, looking forward to May. So uh, it's yeah. going to be a, a great time again in Arkansas. So if you're listening and you've been wanting to come on one of these quests. Uh, we've got two spots left. Maybe your name's on one of them. Oh, they'll fill up. They'll fill up pretty quick. I'm quite sure. So, um, with that, I just wanted to uh, to tell you what a what a wonderful a wonderful time we had. Um, so, I want to just go ahead and start the interview. If that's okay with you? Okay, that's fine. Okay. So, um, before we left for Arkansas, we had part one of Conversations from Lavendar's Vault, and tonight we are presenting Part 2. So, enjoy. We had such a huge response from our listeners to Part 1 of Conversations from Lavendar's Vault. 
so we're glad to bring you part two this evening. If you haven't heard part one yet, make sure you go back in our archives to January 6, 2015 and get part one. We're going to pick up where we left off with more questions, so Lavendar, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Tell us about the Pleiadian Greek God-Goddess program. What was the purpose, and is it still going on? Yes, it's still going on, and I'll have to back up and say that during the time of Atlantis, when the call went out for help with the, the, the conditions of Atlantis, the Pleiadians came with their mighty ships, and they came to help with the decision-making of what should be happening with the giant crystal and, and a lot of other things that were happening uh, in Atlantis. Some of the At Atlanteans uh, did not appreciate the Pleiadians coming, and so some of them were, re they were rebuffed and just told to go away. Others uh, folded them in and said, come and help us. The ones that did not stay took their scout ships and they went to other places on the planet like Egypt and Peru and, and they knew that, that eventually that they would need to set uh, civilizations in, in those countries. So the Pleiadians have been here um, off and on for a very, very long time. They were very involved in what we call the Athena and the 96 bloodline experiments and those had to do with 96 goddesses on the planet uh, releasing the bloodline experiments. In other words, the bloodlines that came together were bloodlines that would hold the star C resonant code in the DNA that would help the evolutionary process of the people on the planet. And all this was put together to evolve a root race out of greed and out of destructive tendencies. And this was to maintain a cosmic balance and activate past programs originally seeded from the Pleiadians that have been keeping the evolutionary records of the species going all this time. So the starseed walk-ins and lightworkers all have a purpose to this mission and each have assignments that are encoded into their systems, whether it's bloodlines, implants, or other means of guidance systems. So one of the systems activated is a tapestry coding that seems to call to different groups at different times. Seeking and finding the ones that seem to have the same program seems to be the task at hand, to bring together the codes and activate the people and the planet, and to become involved with certain codings that would have global consequences that will help bridge the gap between Earth and sky. Now, what I have found in these past few years is that the different soul groups seem to have a theme. There seems to be five soul groups that seems to be interconnected with each other. There's Atlantis, there's uh, Athena in the 96, there's the Jesus Mary Magdalene program, there's the Druid program, and then there's the Native American Indian program. Now, those there's more programs than that. I'm just noticing that those five seem to be the five soul groups that, that are intact with one another. In other words, I'll find people that came on a Pleiadian ship to Atlantis, but they'll also ha choose to have lifetimes in the other four groups that I just mentioned. Well, that's why I see so many overlapping patterns. Because any time I see a chart that has the mark of Atlantis, at least half of the time it's got the mark of Jesus and Mary Magdalene as well. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the crystal soul group is a 
is not a separate group. It's it's part from several groups that have it's part of this overlap. Yes, I track it that way. Okay, so they're not they're not complete separate individual. They are groups of people that that come together in common purpose. Right. So there could be people from Atlantis group, people from the Jesus Mary Magdalene group, they came together and they did work that then resulted in their crystal mastership. So then they're part of more than one group. Right. Okay. After the destruction of Atlantis, a fail-safe system was put in motion with bloodlines so that there would be codings in the DNA that would rise up later and, and the codes would be never again Atlantis. And they coded a lot of people through these different soul groups. But I noticed that the Jesus and Mary Magdalene codings, they seem to be stronger with this message than than any other of the other codings. Because I find that uh, those 12 years that Jesus went missing, no one knew where he was. Well, he went aboard the starship Bethlehem. He was dropped down many places all over the planet. And he impregnated a lot of women. Now, I know that will be shocking to a lot of people that hear that, but when you stop and think about it, that means that his bloodline is now all over the planet and it's rising up. And the main uh, frequency of it is to bring the the truth back to the planet about what actually happened with him when he was on the planet and also to activate those that have been through him with him through history of different incarnations. Plus, Never Again Atlantis is the strongest uh, frequency and message because now technologies are on the earth and we want to make sure that we don't blow ourselves up so if we have enough star seed holding the Jesus bloodline on the planet then this will be a counterbalance for the other kind of energies that came to Atlantis that destroyed it so long ago and that is one of the um, areas where the where the Jesus and Mary Magdalene group act, but I, I know that it's also um, other things that the planet is desperately needing that they are uh, working towards as well, you know, healing the planet and the destruction, I mean, the, the damage from the technology and and the return of the feminine. Now, wasn't Atlantis a very balanced society when it comes to masculine and feminine, maybe a little more feminine? Uh, I wouldn't really... It, it was balanced in a, in a way that we can't comprehend because they they were they, they had a lot of androgynous energy in Atlantis. So they had beings that had their male and female all in one body, and they would um, uh, they could actually uh, have children from themselves. I've never really spoken about that before, and it's not really a subject that I'm comfortable about talking about except to say that they they had really conducted a lot of genetic experiments in Atlantis. Some they canceled and said, oh, we can't do that anymore, and then others they proceeded with. And the ones that they proceeded with that got in so much trouble was when they crossed the people with animals and made what they called the things, and they became the uh, underground workers for Atlantis. And, of course, when they went into those kinds of genetic experiments, then they started really messing with the laws of creation. And that was one of the reasons for their for their downfall. Well, that's that's interference, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
it's a violation and even to enslave a race regardless of their scientific abomination or just regular people enslavement is a violation so they really had <laughs> they had a lot of bad marks on their on their report card that's right wow so and now how does that tie into the pleiadian greek god and goddess program when they knew that atlantis was going to go down they started already planting seeds for the next great civilizations Yes, well they had several several civilizations that they were planning and they they knew they they would have to do a backup system for when technology would come back to the planet. So that's how they designed through the different bloodlines. It wasn't just Jesus uh bloodline that they did this with. They did it with other bloodlines that would have the same kind of of frequencies that would rise up and and uh, and take care of anything that was going to harm the people or the planet. It's just that Jesus's bloodline, it was designed to have the the ability of the power of resurrection. That was the main ingredient of that bloodline. In other words, the people that now have those bloodlines, this is where you find most of the healers and and the light workers that are rising up all over the planet and a lot of people are going you know i'm jesus or i jesus talked to me or i'm mary magdalene or something happens where they they uh, um, imagine themselves to be the deity when actually in actuality they're just tuning into the bloodline that they're carrying that has the memory of such i see i see and with the greek civilization um, I, I haven't quite got the chronology in my head, but were the gods and goddesses there first, or did the civilization start and then they came after? Uh, like after the, it had already been um, a, a thriving civilization. Well, after Atlantis, of course, they, there was some a long period of time when nothing happened, and then they they went in and decided to put in programs that would come in many thousands of years later. And I really don't I don't have at my fingertips the the chronological order of that, but that's why it was decided that these 96 goddesses would um, take on the the bloodline experiments because they were going to be the ones that would be tracked the most through the genetic engineering scientists from the starship Bethlehem which is the ship that was that is that was and still is conducting those experiments and of course they call it the star of Bethlehem because it really was it really <laughs> the star, was the star that the wise men followed that's right it was really the the mothership so what is in pleiadian or galactic terms the god goddess are these beings that have evolved to such an extreme point that they, I mean, maybe they, did they start off as Pleiadians and then just kept ascending until they had reached God status? Yes, you might say that. They're, they're very evolved. When you think about um, the evolution of other species, the Pleiadians are 3,500 years ahead of us in technologies and consciousness. So it's kind of hard to take our consciousness and and get our minds wrapped around their consciousness because there's no way to really interface that. So what has to happen is that 
in our understanding, we have to grow to know that we're carrying in our blood and in our past life patterns energies that have been extended to us from, say, the Pleiadians, because they're the ones that have been helping us throughout our different incarnations. They're kind of the the seed race right now. On the We have a lot of different other species, but the Pleiadians, they have the most at stake on the planet. They have more bloodlines running on the planet and their experiments than anybody else. It's, it's their turn. It's their time to take back some of the souls that came to the planet. They will be gathering a lot of their people and taking them home at some point. And there's been a lot of ships that have come and gone uh, back and forth between the Pleiades and Earth, especially during the times of Pleiadian lineup. And that's November 17th, 18th, and 19th, and, no- and May 17th, 18th, and 19th. Although I see that it starts from the 15th to the 20th of each of each November and May. And it seems as though that during these times that they do the readouts and they keep checking on the progress of the people in the planet. And it's how they're keeping up with how we're evolving and the help that they can give us next. You know, they can't really interfere and give us the exact uh, formulas to things, but they can they can stimulate us into remembering that we knew it once. And once we've known it, it means that it's ours and that we can only be maybe tricked into remembering it again <laughs> somehow. And that's why inventions and formulas come about. And like I said before, they send it to a thousand, a hundred pick it up, ten run with it, but only one really gets to do it. And when I say it that way, I'm talking about only one person can be an inventor for, say, the computer or finding out something for a disease. Mm-hmm. So a group, like there were 96 goddesses, were there also gods that came as well, male entities as opposed to female? There were only two gods that were playing during the time of Athena and the 96. There was Yahweh and there was Jehovah. And they were brothers. And Yahweh, if you notice in the Bible that they talk of the God of love and peace. And then in the Old Testament, you'll be hearing about the God of war and the God of revenge, and and that's Jehovah. So there were two gods. So to answer to your question, when the 96 goddesses were placed on the planet, we did not have 96 gods to match them, no. What about Zeus and Apollo and, you know, Hermes? Were they gods? They had already left. They were already gone during this period of time. They had already been here, and they were already gone. The last to leave was Athena. I see. They had already been here, and they had already conducted all of their experiences. And of those 96 goddesses, they put their bloodline, and these were Pleiadians in human form, Yes. That still had their abilities, what may seem like magic or godlike powers. It was simply because they were masters of energy manipulation, where they could seem to disappear, or they could have just been beaming up, (laughs) or being able to transmute things instantly. I mean, that's what you mean by the resurrection frequency. It's not limited to 
well, you died and you came back to life. It is the regeneration and rebirth, that transmutation frequency. They all carried it. It was mad. It was magic. It was magic. It was truly magic. Okay, it's what we call magic today. It's like, and 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 of course the Druid period. A lot of the ninety-six goddesses and their bloodlines were very very involved in the whole Druid history. It was because of them that the Druids actually rose up and did high priestess and goddess work during that period of time. Now Merlin was part of that, and he was. He was a remnant of energies that was left from the god system from Greece. So the 96 goddesses left their bloodline on the planet. I don't want to get too graphic about that, but they had human husbands? Or did they just bring these children from the ship? Okay. When they started mating, the men that they would mate with, their bloodlines had been... um, in other words, they they didn't just go out and find their husbands just by going out and looking around. No, they they were they were, they were <laughs> sorry. They were they were picked in advance. See, they were holding bloodlines that they knew would help enhance the bloodlines that the the ninety six were carrying. So when the uh, insemination started and the birthing of children happened all of it was designed all of it was designed it was like selective breeding it was selective breeding it was and and they've done that many times on the planet well arranged marriages on a galactic level yeah so of the 96 goddesses have some of them come back from time to time to check on their bloodline or to straighten up their bloodline back in 1983, when I went to Cairo, Egypt, and had that assignment inside of the Great Pyramid of Giza when the Pleiadians came, one of the things that they had instructed me to know about was that 200 goddesses had come back to the planet. Some of them had come as walk-ins, some as drop-bys, some as just hovering beings, but no one had been incarnated, I mean birthed, okay? Mm-hmm. But they came with special implants and devices and would hover over certain areas, certain people. There was a lot of walk-ins that had come from the Pleiadian ships on that November 17th, 18th, and 19th activation of 1983. So they were looking after them like, there were like, I don't know, nine or 10 or 11 people in the Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, and they were getting walk-ins, and these were high-profile people. So when the, the goddesses did come, they started tracking the walk-ins that they had placed in the people that were going to help the, the planet evolve. It became a very, whew, it was a very, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It was a it was a long range plan, and they had to come and supervise it, but not interfere. You know, it's like how do you supervise with non interference? They would have to blend their energies in such a way with the being that was inside of another being. I'm talking about the walk ins now, to keep them on their time track, but without giving them 
the additional information that was going to make it a violation, if I'm making myself clear about that. So they were temporary walk-ins? Yes, they were. And they only could be there for, I believe it was two and a half years that they were here. So, well, I, I can see with the non-interference directive that if you told someone too much, it could put them on tilt, and then you would not be leaving them better than you found them, and that would also be a, a violation. So I'm sure it was a very a tricky balancing act. It, it was a very tricky balancing act. So the bloodlines of the 96 goddesses are all over the planet. All over the planet. And the energy, the actual souls of the goddesses themselves are not here in physical form, but they stop by or, yeah. or drop in. Right. Yeah. From time to time. From time to time. Yeah. With certain people in their bloodline. I know that there has been sometimes when you were aware that Athena herself was overshadowing a very famous person. Do you want to talk about that? That was Elizabeth Taylor, yes. I got to watch uh, how they were working with the walk-in in Elizabeth. And because when she came out of the hospital in 83, it was within a couple of weeks, she started making the announcement about things that she was going to do for the AIDS project. And that's when she started her her foundation, and she became very, very involved in the AIDS movement. Yeah, and more politically active, maybe not politically, but but socially. Right, right. You just saw it from the news. You weren't there in person with her when it happened. No, I was not there with her in person when it happened. But I watched her. I did watch her from a distance, and I would know when things were happening with her. I tracked her for all those many years, about 30 years that I've tracked some of her comings and goings, and it wasn't only from the news. I would simply have the information from the ship that was letting me know what was happening with her on the planet. Well, I know in one of our previous broadcasts, you told the story of going in, in Las Vegas and going to see her, and so you have actually been in the car in her presence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Once you are in someone's presence, then you can continue to kind of follow them if the stakes are high enough and it's your assignment and, and all of that. So did it help tracking her? Yes, it did. When I met her, I did I did not know that I would be connected to her later on. I had no idea. It was a situation that was created for me to be in her presence. And then years later, I got to figure it out. <laughs> well, I know you keep working on something until you do have it figured out. So you kind of touched on this next uh, question here, but is Yahweh, or had he been Pleiadian? Yes, Yahweh was Pleiadian. So is Jehovah. Both of them are Pleiadian. And so therefore Jesus as well? Jesus as well. And all the Essenes, all the Essenes, they planned his birth 500 years before he came, and they planned it through bloodlines. So everybody that was in on the Jesus story all that was planned way ahead of time, even to the carpenters and to the people that made houses and served him food and made his clothing and made his sandals. Everything was planned way in advance. So he had frequency support all around him. Absolutely. I see. And I think you just did mention that the Pleiadians have jurisdiction over this planet because of their long history, their karma, the fact that they've got more starseed bloodlines here than any other race. 
That's true. So they have jurisdiction. It's not about jurisdiction so much as it is they have, there's more at stake for them. All the beings have jurisdiction. When I say all, there's 33 different species that conduct business aboard the starship Bethlehem. There's other starships that come in from Cirrus and Arcturus. So they all work in a federation. There's a federation and there's a, and there's councils upon councils upon councils that meet and decide different things at different times. But because of the Pleiadians having more bloodlines on the planet than any other species, it's because they have the most that they have most at stake. Oh, it's like someone who owns more than 50% of the stock in a company right. yeah. has more to say. That's right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that makes that sense. Works. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about the gods and goddesses, or can we go on to the next topic? You know, one of the lessons that I learned about the goddesses when they came to the planet to conduct experiments with different people, they showed me one that they had conducted over a 19-year period. And it had to do with the law and the lack of it. And 19 years of intense training in the West. When I'm talking about the West, it was after the Civil War. And there were all these men and women that were heavily involved in the North and South Civil War. And after it was over, they didn't have anywhere to go. They, they'd they been shooting people and killing. And they were all just kind of on their horses, you know, going from town to town, and they were dissatisfied with what was happening. So they all went, a lot of them went west, and they went into these little communities, and a lot of them became cattle rustlers and, you know, like the Jesse James of the group. There's like 20 or 30 of them that started running around in the New Mexico, uh, Oklahoma, Texas area, and they really made names for themselves. But what happened was they were running these bloodline experiments from the ship and these goddesses would come down or the Pleiadian cosmonauts, either one, would come down and they would overshadow some of these characters and would create uh, situations that would have to be taken care of eventually by the law. It was a very complex um, experiment but one that I got to view and look at many, many years ago. And in my bank vault, I have written quite a bit about some of the characters that were in the Old West and how that some of them even had close contact with the female cosmonauts from the ship. Some of them went as far as getting drunk and going out and shooting people and taking their own lives because they couldn't handle and that and, and of course that was part of the experiment was to say okay what if we reveal ourselves to them what will happen well they just lost it <laughs> that's what happened <laughs> so they stopped that part of it <laughs> so they, so what would happen is if if a female cosmonaut needed to come down she'd have to go in and dress up like maybe one of the ladies of the evening or a dancer or a bartender or a piano player miss kitty yeah Miss, Miss Kitty. Yeah, Miss <laughs> Kitty, yeah. And would conduct it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we had all these people after the Civil War that were emotionally distraught. A lot of people felt cheated and violated. Great tragedies on both sides. 
so they go west and they just started doing whatever they wanted to regardless of right who it hurt right so the wild west the outlaws cattle rustling and all the atrocities that happened was deliberately allowed that's right to get really really so bad that that it would have to be fixed yeah that it would have to be fixed yeah it was so bad that you couldn't live with it anymore right so out of total anarchy lawlessness and criminal behavior arose law and order and that was over a 19-year period, uh, I believe you said, from yeah. from one eclipse to the next. Right. And then it was over. Right. It was successful. Very successful. In fact, we have, to this day, how many times have you seen a Jesse James movie being made over again? And all the all the characters of the of the West we have a lot of Western movies depicting these experiments. Of course, they weren't revealed that way. And when you add in the Native Americans mm-hmm. are some of the purest bloodlines of galactic Pleiadian bloodlines, and they were right in the thick of that. Right. And a lot of the injustices and atrocities connected to Native Americans also helped to bring about the cure. Right. Yeah, it's almost like a vaccine where you have to take some of the germ in order to get over it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another 19-year experiment, and they've done this several times, has to do with the Tesla kids. They decided to, in 1980, I I went to Cripple Creek. A lot of people know this story. went to Cripple Creek and bought an A-frame cabin and people would come there and walk around my cabin and and I'd say what are you doing here and they say oh this is where Tesla caught lightning in a jar and I'd say well who's Tesla and of course then later I became so familiar with Tesla and all of his works that I I spent many many years uh, working with these Tesla kids I call them Tesla kids because they all kind of look alike they kind of all look like David Copperfield and they all talk about free energy devices. They know they've been contacted by ETs. A lot of them have been abducted. Some of them have been contacted. They're very paranoid. They like to live alone out in the woods away from others. There's a whole group of them that I have found through the years, and they seem to run them on different 19-year experiments. So there's 19 years when I saw a lot of them, and then the next 19 years I didn't find them very many of them and then the next 19 years then here they come again I noticed that they come in waves so I just wanted to mention that there are beings that are on the planet right now that do have the coatings and maybe not the bloodline or could they could have the bloodline but the same kind of information that Nikolai Tesla had when he was here on the planet has been given to these other beings on the planet now that are bringing um, new resources to the planet through free energy devices, ways to help our planet not be so polluted. They're very concerned about the air and the water and the conditions of the people on the planet. So I'm I'm really uh, excited to see more and more Tesla kids rising up and making a stand, and although a lot of them have been killed for their inventions. And because of that, I kind of 
dropped out for a couple of years because I, I noticed that they were being killed because they were trying to bring the truth to the planet about free energy. And some governments or some people that didn't want them to have them just decided to snuff them out. But I think that time is over now. I think that some of the Tesla kids are going to be able to step out, bring their inventions forward, and I don't think they'll be bothered. I don't think people will hurt them. I think they'll be welcoming them now because times have changed, and I don't feel the persecution is going to happen so strong to them as before. Did I hear you say at one point that Tesla was a Syrian Yes, he was from Cirrus. He was not Pleiadian. But he was, obviously, I mean, there were Syrians aboard the Pleiadian yeah, oh, mothership. Yes. And, yes. And they don't really make the distinction between no. nationalities that no, we do. No, not, not really. They're just fifth dimensional or not. So you think Tesla, maybe his DNA or his his consciousness is in contact with these kids, why, why they look like him? They have some genetic connection? Well, it's it's not that they look so much like him. It's that this group seems to look like each other. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's like the way I've always identified them is with their eyebrows. And um, their, the way their hair, their hair and eyebrows and the way their forehead sits. There seems to be kind of like the boys from Brazil, that movie. <laughs> they kind of uh. all look alike. And, you know, one day... I was at a meeting in Manhattan up on the very top penthouse floor with glass all the way around, and I was giving a presentation uh, to this billionaire that I had had an appointment with, and I saw lightning coming, so I, I said to them, I said, oh, lightning's coming, and if you see my body jerking, just don't pay me any mind because I've been struck by lightning, and therefore I just kind of make these funny little sounds, so I thought I needed to do the disclaimer so about that time I was talking about the Tesla kids and my time with them and then the man that I was sitting next to pointed to the elevator and about that time lightning struck a, a building across the street which made me go Boop, you know make that funny sound and then he points and there stands David Copperfield at the elevator and I'm the real David Copperfield. The, the real David Copperfield. And I, <laughs> oh my gosh! And, but here's what's so funny: the lightning strikes, and I say, and they and they all look like David Copperfield. And with that, he points to the elevator and he says, "And there he is." And I turned and looked, and there stood David Copperfield. And I was like totally freaked. I was totally freaked. And then finally, he laughed. And he says, "Oh, he lives in this building. Don't don't get alarmed." <laughs> Yeah, but he showed up at the right time. But he showed up at the right time, and I I really freaked. I did. I just, I could hardly breathe when that happened. And that, there I was in the middle of my presentation, and I was like, <laughs> okay. I can, you know, I had to Yeah, I try to keep you, <laughs> you know, on the cartoons when the, when the top of a guy's head comes off. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to keep it, keep it all, your, keep it all together. Golly. Um, but but who planned that? See, all that was that was a demonstration of how things happen. It's like for some reason the lightning and me saying David Copperfield and then him pointing, all that was orchestrated. It had to be. Right. Right. But very few people 
would track it to the lengths that you do. Yeah, probably. You know, and it was just like, oh, he lives here anyway, so it's just a coincidence. Right. But, you know, yeah. you're talking about him, you're talking about Tesla, you're, the lightning strikes, and that's the moment he shows up. Right. You know, yeah, sure, he lived in the building, but what made him show up at that moment? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready to move on to the next sure. topic here? Sure, okay. sure. One of our past shows deals with trickster energies and I just wanted to ask you if you had to experience dealing with tricksters to learn about them and to have mastership or does anybody really have mastership and is there a way that galactic tricksters could ever benefit us yes and and I I pulled this in uh, with a request that I had one day I said you know I need to know about all the different kinds of energies on the planet I want to know about the good, bad, ugly, and different. I, I, I need to know what functions here. So I said, okay, we're going to give you training on trickster. And it may take you a few years to really get a handle on how trickster works. Well, it did take many years, and it took me 19 years. <laughs> There's that 19-year cycle again. To write what I wrote and delivered on the radio show, oh, I guess a couple of years ago, I think it's called Trickster. And I wrote Trickster from many points of view. And the reason that Trickster was so valuable to me was to know how people actually can say one thing and then actually turn and do something totally different. It gave me a training on the on polarity, on the power of opposites, and humorous too. There are tricksters that are, they just love to, to be a trickster just for the fun of it. And I know that the Native Americans, they use that as part of their medicine to train people. But I have found trickster to be something that really interferes with the evolution of a lot of people on the planet. If you take the time to play with trickster, then then you stop your momentum, you stop your evolution, just to be curious about how a trickster works. I have found that the experiences that I had through all those years finding out the different kinds of trickster that was uh, allowed to be on the planet actually has served me now to know about it because it gives me the insight to how trickster plays on the planet, especially through the New Age movement, through metaphysical people. I think that's been one of my biggest heartaches is to see how trickster has been allowed to go in and just rip and tear a lot of new age light workers and and throw them against the wall and just make them sick and make them dysfunctional and just get them out of the game. Trickster can get you out of the game if you're not clued in to how trickster works. So I think it would be a good idea if you have not heard the trickster episode to go back and take a listen to that because they wear many faces and many different hats and almost all of them would be smiling. Yeah, <laughs> with one smiling with the front of their face. Anyway, why is it important to stay out of polarity, and what does that mean? When you get into polarity with someone, then you're in a battle for consciousness, I guess, or I'd say, I'm right, you're wrong. Once you get into that, I'm right, you're wrong, you're going to miss a lot of timing in your life to stop and be argumentative or try to prove yourself. I always say, you don't have to be right. You need to be on time. If you're on time with your life, then you don't have to be right. Think about that for a moment. You don't have to be right if you're on time. 
So I don't know what the real purpose for bathing in Trickster for long periods of time can do for you. I wouldn't suggest doing what I did and ask for every known energy on the planet to come show show themselves to you. That was, <laughs> oh was just... That was just insanity on my part, okay? That reminds me of the time I I took a bag of carrots out in the pasture in the dark with a bunch of horses out there. I didn't stop to think, and I was was stampeded. Trying to run for the gate. I I just wanted to give a carrot to Tari. I didn't want, you know, but oh my gosh, they all came running in the dark. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, that's it. Just got that image. (laughs) You know, staying out of polarity. It keeps you in a in a safe and neutral position. Right. Because I remember I asked you about this once before years and years and years ago. And it's like if you're standing there with your gun out of your holster and you got your six gun, you know, just like the old West, when you got your gun drawn, there's gonna be somebody there who wants to outdraw you. Yeah. If you keep your gun in the holster, then then you're not going to attract that opposition. And, you know, I'm finding with my clients now, people that call and, and want sessions with me, a lot of them have done a lot of work on themselves already, and, and they're stepping out of polarity. They're not engaging. They're observing, being the observant instead of the participant. They're not participating. They're saying, I'm drawing the line here. You can't, uh, draw, can't step across that line with me anymore because there's my boundaries, and I'm, I'm just not engaging. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go where you're going because it's futile. And I'm saying a lot of people have already gotten that message because when I m- mention it to to clients of mine, they say, "Oh yeah, I'm already doing that. I'm already stepping aside. I'm stepping out of polarity." So I'm really congratulating our Starseed audience for for them. I don't have to tell them to step out of polarity. They seem to be doing it already on their own. I love that. Yeah, it's good for the team because for people who are in polarity and they're engaged in in that I'm right, you're wrong battle, all they're doing is feeding their adversary with their own energy by staying focused on it. So it's really kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Right. If you want to move forward and upward, then you can't be focused on the on the whirlpool, the drain, you know, on the toilet that makes you go down. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. So I've heard you use the term suit up. What is suit up and when is it a good idea? I use the term suit up when something of major concern is happening. Like if someone calls me and tells me that a friend of theirs is is in a car accident and on the way to the hospital and would I please assist or what could I do for that person at that time? What I do at, at that moment, I'll hang up the phone and and I'll just suit up my my whole energy field. I'll just go to a a frequency of attunement of myself, and I build an energy. It's a, like an energy ball around me, and I, it's like I power up. I power up, and I simply then go to a very relaxed position. I don't stay. I'm not on an adrenal high is what I'm telling you. It's like right. I power up and then I go very, very soft in myself. And then usually I'll send what I call my galactic secret service team to go to that area. But suiting up for me means I go to another frequency. I I completely surround myself with a ball of energy 
that keeps other frequencies from interfering with what I'm doing. When I suit up, it means nobody else gets to make the call except me at that moment, knowing who I am, what I'm going to do, and how I'm going to do it, whatever the assignment is. You're the only cook in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that's the only way you can really be sure that the energy is, or that the frequency is on key, on pitch. Right. But what I'd like to say is, a lot of people, when an emergency happens, what they'll do is drop down. They'll drop their energy down and want to receive something from God, okay? This is what I do not do. I power up. I go up. I don't let my energy go down. I don't go into a subservient position and pray for a a gigantic being to come and fix the problem. No, I power up and make my whole energy pattern go very high up in, in consciousness, and I get very strong and very firm. And then I send the signal out to the ship to go and take care of it. And that's how I do the work. Part of suiting up for me is actually like the old-time knights putting on the the chain mail and the coat of armor and getting all of your energy kind of collected and focused, but it's more than just wearing your ready-for-business clothing. Right. It's an energy that you collect and turn up. And I know that in this work that you do, you have come across or you have come up with some great sayings. And I would just like to reiterate a few, which I know that we've said many times on the airs, but one of my very favorites is energy doesn't lie, only people do. Right. And another of my favorites of yours is there are only two kinds of energy, up spiral and down spiral. Right. But one of my earliest questions was, how do you know if someone is from your team or not? Well, it doesn't take long to find out who's giving you information or who's leading you down the path because pretty soon they'll reveal themselves. When people give you roses, you know it. When they give you thorns, you know it. So I always say, look at the body count. You know, sometimes you look at this New Age movement and you see a lot of people that are really going to the extremes with lectures and getting thousands of people to follow them and all kinds of mystical energies are out there playing with people. But the long and the short of it, look at the body count. How many people are laying down? How many people are sick? How many people can get on with their life after they come in contact with these so-called masters or gurus or people that are out there really plugging for spiritual advancement? But at the same time, are they responsible for the bodies that are laying down? I mean, look behind and see how many people have gone into destruction because of of their energies. Yeah, well, what you had mentioned a little earlier about the the metaphysical New Age community is really ripe with people who do not really belong in that community, Uh, but they're like wolves scrounging and and trying to capture energy and alignment. And another, another saying of yours that I just love, there is no competition for alignment. No, there isn't. A person either stands by you of their own free will or they don't. But you can't Yeah, no competition. You have never you have never tried to compete with anybody. No. They either resonate with your work and the truth that you have presented or they don't. And back again, you don't need 
to be right about this. No. And I'd say you are on time. <laughs> you know, several politicians that I have worked with in the past, they'll say, well, what do you think? What do you think I ought to do? I always come back with, you don't have to be right. You just need to be on time. And they go, okay, I got it now. And then they'll go off and remember it for about a week, and then they'll make some <laughs> some <laughs> some big decision that puts them into hot water. Then they're calling me again. And then I'll say, okay, did you try to be right about that, or were you on time? They said, yeah, I tried to be right. I said, well, focus on being on time instead of being right. So finally, after several years, I finally got, <laughs> finally got that across. You don't have to be right. You just have to be on time. So when you tune into a person's chart, what happens to you? Well, the first thing that happens, I have a little headset on. I'm on Skype. I'm looking at their chart um, on my computer. I'll hear their voice in my ear. And those two things opens up a file in my head. And a third energy kind of comes in. And it's like a galactic tracking device of some kind that takes me to their cosmic bank account and that's where I look at their credits and their debits and the the pattern that will show in the chart will show me how many credits and debits they have and I may not focus on their debits because if I give them enough information about their credits then they can certainly turn around and take care of their debits but what happens to me is that I start attuning to the person actually the the day before, I will send the charts to be printed out. And the minute I do the charts, it's like there's some kind of invisible energy that starts working with that person 24 hours before I ever have the session. And it's kind of an interesting thing that happens because when I start uh, saying hello to the person and I hear their voice, then then all that has happened in the last 24 hours of tracking seems to come front and center. And sometimes I'll get two or three different channels that will come on all at once, and it's like all three of them want to play at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I have to go, okay, I have to calm down each one of the channels and put them on hold so that I can hear that. that Sometimes it will be a symbol, or maybe it will be a color, or maybe there will be a whole line of information about their bloodlines. But I don't need for it to happen all at once. So I'm still kind of working with how the information is is passed on to me or delivered to me. I'm still trying to get a handle on how to stop all the the other chatter that's coming in at the same time Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to talk to someone. And I've pretty well got that nailed down now. Uh, These these next questions are just kind of quick one-liner kind of questions. Should you be careful of the telephone when you're in the middle of a high assignment? There have been times when I have disobeyed and gotten myself on a telephone when I was told not to. And, of course, I always have to learn the hard way. (laughs) So what can happen is if I'm really, really focused on a particular assignment and I want to keep it cloaked from prying eyes, the minute that I pick up a telephone and answer it, from, you know, say anyone, there can be an an energy that will jump on that frequency and travel to my brain. And it will be, sometimes it will act like an eraser. It will 
go in and just kind of mess with my brain to where I can't even remember what I'm doing. And once I found out that could happen, I, I, I said, my goodness, I, I, I have to be very, very careful about how to use these technologies because it's like a it's like a software virus that can be attached to someone's voice on a phone and come to my head and it, it'll be like a scrambler in my brain. And once I discovered that that was out there, then I just don't get on the telephone when I'm when I'm doing something very important or something that I definitely don't want to be messed with about. The people that that would be calling you could be completely innocent. Oh, absolutely. They had no idea. No idea. No idea that they can be they can be used. Yeah. Piggybacking something to kind of throw a monkey wrench in your mm-hmm. in your assignment or whatever whatever thing you were working on. Right. And it's probably as bad or worse with cell phones, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. I have a cell phone that I that I keep for traveling, but I that's the only time I use it. I just really do not care for cell phones and the cell phone towers and in fact i am going to be having someone come on our show to talk to us about the electromagnetics that are hurting the people on the planet and i'm trying to find that person right now so we'll have someone coming on and telling us all the new things that he's found out about cell phones cell phone towers the technology the the mass influence that we have now on the planet that's really hurting a lot of people's health and how it's destroying our kids you know these kids are sleeping with their cell phones and their and their brains are not forming properly because of it oh i could go on and on about this oh i know we could we could talk for 3 hours just on cell phones and and why they're dangerous but we're going to go on with more galactic questions okay you had mentioned that the pleiadians are 3500 years ahead of us but they're not the most advanced are there some that are farther than that oh of course but it's not really important to even talk about the beings that are beyond the pleiadians it's it wouldn't serve us to even talk about it no we can't no. even comprehend no. we can't even comprehend them so. yeah right <laughs> Yeah, and and you had also um, mentioned that there are 33 different species aboard the Star of Bethlehem. Right. Which is also, I mean, that's what they call it on the Earth, but it's TX-11. Right, TX-11 okay. is one of the terms for the ship, right. Okay. So why should people take dreams with a grain of salt? Well, there's different forms of spiritual evolution on the planet. Now, dreams can mean a lot to a lot of different people that are intuitive, precognitive, or just starting out learning about their spiritual development. But as a person climbs the ladder of consciousness and starts being taken aboard ships at night, what they'll do is they'll give you a dream sequence, and you'll come back and you'll think that that's what happened to you in your dream sequence, I mean, the dream won't be real. There'll be it's given to you. It's not something that you manufacture on your own. So, um, I take with a grain of salt people that tell me about their dreams because some of them will be self-generated by that person. But if they're really advanced and being taken aboard ships, or if they're going to these Teton meetings in inside the mountain in Wyoming, then they're given. Um, Screen dreams is what I call them. 
like watching a movie that yeah. that you didn't write. That's right. So that that's why I say, is it real or is it Memorex? Yeah. I mean, if someone had a, a dream that was very disturbing and it had no figuring it out or no ulterior kind of underlying meaning, it, it is possible that, that you intercepted a screen dream. Right. So why do you think that so many people think they were Cleopatra or Mary Magdalene? You touched on this a little bit earlier, that they were having DNA memory. We've had um, a guest on the show named Craig Campobasso who talked about the the history, what did he call them, discs or coins? History coins? Yeah. Does that? Yes, uh, that explains a lot. Yeah, when people are given, well... I know when I first started going aboard ship, and they placed me in this chair and they put this headset on me, and they would download just volumes of information within minutes. And some of them would come out right away, but then some of them they don't come out until later. It's like they're a time release capsule, and that's what happens in your bloodlines. They'll give you time release capsules in your bloodline, and if you happen to be activated in in the times of Rome or Cleopatra or whatever period of time that you think you are, then that's what happens. You go, oh, then I'm it. If I if I'm thinking about it, if I if I feel that I'm this person, I must be because the thought came to me. And actually, it's just part of a pattern that's happening to millions of people uh, all over the planet. And maybe it, it happens at the same time. You know, sometimes they'll they'll take the ships and they go back and forth, back and forth with their rays of energy, and and it will activate certain programs at certain times. So, people that just wake up and go, okay, I'm I'm Mary Magdalene today, and I'll get a whole lot of emails that will say that they'll say, oh, I woke up and I got the message from Mary, or Jesus talked to me, or uh, I, I had a dream you know, of going aboard the ship and there was, it, it's like you never know where this is going to come from. <laughs> Every day that I go mm-hmm. to the computer and look at emails and find the experiences from other people, um, I track them on so, so many different levels because so many different levels of people are awakening to their spiritual divinity. And some of them jump overnight. Some of them takes a long time to get there. But eventually, everybody will get there. Everybody will be awakened to know what's happening for them uh, and their place in the scheme of things on the planet. And that's what people want to know. People want to know, well, what am I doing here? And how can I make my life better? And the thing that I'm finding in people's charts is that they have so many masterships that are just sitting over there, and they're not accessing them. They don't even know they have them. And it's like riding a bicycle. Once you've ridden a bicycle, you never forget how to ride a bicycle. I don't care how old you get or how long it's been since you've ridden one. It all comes back to you. Same thing with past masterships from other lifetimes. So those are the things that I try to acknowledge and to instill into people when I do sessions is to reactivate their masterships. Because once those are reactivated in their DNA patterns, in their consciousness... Even for them to say, oh, you mean I have that? Just the, the acknowledgement that they may have something more than they thought they had gives them the hope and gives them the, the tractor beam 
of going forward with something pretty spectacular in their lives. You just need to get kind of like just a little crack where it starts seeping Mm -hmm. through. Right. So was King Arthur a real person? Yes, and so was Merlin. All those characters were, were real, very real. And they had different timelines, but I don't really want to go into that about the timelines. But they had pretty well put on the island of Avalon, and they had conducted these experiments with with the god and goddesses and the druids. And this is when they really wanted to fine-tune the magic was during that period of time. And, of course, there were violations, and there were times when they had to shut it down and times when they had to bring it back. You bring it back, shut it down. Bring it back, shut it down. That's been a theme ever since Atlantis. It just now occurred to me that this seemed like the King Arthur and Merlin area was a a connection kind of threading together the Druids, the Jesus and Mary Magdalene, magic, and it, almost a unification of the old religion and Christianity. And that goes all the way back to Atlantis. But here's the kicker, is that he was a experiment with the bloodline of Jesus. Okay? He was part of that whole bloodline from the Star of Bethlehem. It was a whole plan that was going to be coming to the planet. He was part of that whole plan. It's like he didn't have the bloodline of Jesus. I shouldn't say it that way. He was part of that bloodline that streamed streamed into the the bloodline that became Jesus. Let me say it that way. He was a part of the tree. Right, he was part of the tree. The family tree. Mm-hmm. His bloodline and Jesus's bloodline came from a a similar or same right. point at one if you go back far enough they would converge. Right, right. But not that Arthur was the great great grandson. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. More like great great grandfather. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And were they ETs in human form? Not exactly. Not not in the way that you. No, I. Not in the no, way I'm asking. No, no, not no. They were designed to be human form, but they had they had a, a higher consciousness. Okay. So now I want to talk about off the planet, because from time to time I'm sure people have heard you refer to the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. Is this a physical place? Yes, it's a physical place, and it's a place where all the huge motherships go and dock, and, and they have huge council meetings, and it's called the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. And uh, it's where other beings uh, from other universes come to have meetings also. It's not just this universe. It's other universes that are attracted to the Midway Station. And it's from here that a lot of co-creation is taking place when they decide to make planets and to move planets and to move things that's beyond our comprehension. And it's my understanding that because this is a physical space station, it was named after the Antarians and the Arcturians because were they not the engineers that designed it? Yes, they were. But the people or the the beings that that come and go from there, that operate from there, that work from there, they come from all over, don't they? Yes, they're from all over. That's part of the Federation. Okay. And are they also multidimensional? 
beyond fifth dimension? Yes, a lot of them are all dimensions, all dimensions. And they are the ultimate good guys. Yes, the ultimate good guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the home of the Great White Brotherhood. Yes. And the Crystal Brotherhood. Right. And while we're on that topic, the two e-books that we have in our vault were transmissions from a being aboard the Midway Station. Right. One's called 50 Questions and Answers, and it, they're just profound questions and answers. And the other one is, is more about the proper care and use of crystals from the Crystal Brotherhood. So that is the story on the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. I've seen some photos from time to time that make me think of the Arcturians kind of like the Vulcans, very intellectual, very cerebral, very dispassionate and scientifically advanced. Is that, it's kind of neither here nor there. No, but that's true. That's true. Yes, they're more Spock. Yeah, they're more like Spock. Yeah. Yeah. More like Spock. Okay. And Gene Roddenberry, by the way, you know, of course, not only was he Starseed, uh, before he came to the planet, he chose to come to be the writer of the things that would be happening aboard ship and in space. All that he knew that he was going to do before he ever came to the planet. And once he came to the planet, they were in concert with him, giving him these different packets, these thought packets that would release at different times so that he could actually write about the true history of things that had actually happened out in space. Wow. I have been the biggest Star Trek fan on the planet for a long, long time, and now it makes more sense. Yeah. When you were receiving the transmissions for 50 Questions and Answers, the ebook. You were using, I mean, this was before computers, you were using a brother typewriter, I think you said. Right. So tell us what happened about the ribbon, the typewriter ribbon. Well, I ran out of ribbon, and it just kept typing. I mean, I typed without ribbon. <laughs> it's like I didn't realize it. See, I didn't realize that the, the ribbon was out because I just kept typing. And then when I looked and saw that I'd been typing without ribbon, then I knew something very spectacular had just happened <laughs> because the the type was on the on the paper and there was no ribbon. Yeah, and the, if I remember that particular typewriter, once it was gone, it was gone. Yeah. It's not like you could keep ringing oh, yeah. out a few more pages. Yeah. yeah, it was that brother typewriter. It acts differently than yeah. yeah. Well, it was a cartridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I remember when you told me about that, that the typewriter ribbon just magically working, even though it was used up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. Those are the times when you just you know you're in the zone of some kind, a galactic zone for sure. I have just a few more questions here for you, and they're kind of just a general. Aren't most ETs benevolent with great love and high integrity? I would say that most of them are. There's a few renegades, there's a few bad apples always, you know. In, in different species, because they choose to be, they have free will choice. But in the long and the short of it, most of the beings that are here to observe us and to help us are here for our best interest and will not step across that line to hurt our people or our planet. What are they doing, if anything, about the reptilians? Well, a lot of the reptilians have been taken off the planet. A lot of Zetas have been reprimanded for some of their abductions and some of that's been slowed down. As some people say that it's stopped, but I'm not quite sure about that because I still get information 
from different people at different times telling me about still about their abductions, so I'm not sure that it stopped yet. But the meetings that take place all have to do with getting the people ready for this disclosure that's going to be happening, not from the governments, but from them, because they'll be coming down in this next year. And we had a, our friend Tom was on our show last week talking about the Pleiadians would be the ones to come in 2015. And I really do feel like that that will be happening because they're humanoid looking. And so they won't be shocking Shocking as some of the other beings that could shock a lot of people like the praying mantis, the insect beings or beings that just don't look like us. And look, look at the problems that we're having with race on the planet now. So can you imagine what would happen? if some insect-looking beings came (laughs) and tried to interface with earthlings at this time. So they have to be humanoid in their appearance. And even then, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with a lot of people on the planet because this is going to be the biggest event that's happened on our Earth for a very, very long time. It will definitely change the way we conduct life here. Once the consciousness comes to the planet that there are other beings and the beings are here and have been for a long time and the bloodlines are all over the planet that extend from their species. Once that's common knowledge, it changes everything, everything on the planet. Yeah, (laughs) we've had a few Star Trek episodes about that exact thing, first contact. Right. So most starseeds have an urgent feeling about a mission, but they can't remember it. And is that because our common mission, the one that we all, all of us have, is simply to be here now and help to elevate the consciousness on the planet? Can it be that simple? It can be that simple because a lot of people just come for that reason. Everybody comes for a different reason. We have so many different programs running that some people come to advance their bloodlines. Some people come to advance the animal species to help with the animals on the planet Others are here for the flora and fauna. Everyone has something that they want to specialize in or something they want to be a part of. I mean, if we all wanted to be the same thing, our planet couldn't function. So we're all born with abilities to be creative and to take care of each other and to to know how the cosmic laws work and how the earth laws work and how to bring heaven to earth, and that's what we're about now. So just being here and living your normal 3D life from day to day with as much love and grace and and just hold that frequency as brightly as you can, that is the mission for a lot of starseeds. But what I'm finding is it's not enough for them. Everybody's saying, it's not enough that I'm holding the light. I want to know more, and I want to connect with my people. There seems to be an urge now to find their soulmates, to find other people like themselves. And that's why I have talked about that galactic GPS locator in people's heads now, because they're turned on and they're beeping silently, and they're attracting other beep beeps. You know, it's like it's a homing device for soulmate contacts and soul group contacts. So the more that you ask for information, more if you start saying, I really want to find my soul group, I want to find my soul group, once you start focusing on that, then your soul groups will start showing up. 
either on email, on the phone, at lectures, at the Starseed Quest that we have in Arkansas. You never know where they're going to come from. But once you start asking for it and really mean it, that's when your life changes. You're, you go in a different direction because you're now focused on finding more and more people like yourself so that your energies can come together and combine so that you can take the evolution to a higher frequency. And isn't it also true that if you get enough star seeds together that, that there is even a third result of activating each other, turning each other's uh, volume up, so to speak? Absolutely. Yeah, so it starts to compound and compound. Right. So, and that, I think, has probably really been um, emphasized since December of 2012, don't you? Yeah, because after the Mayan calendar time that came to an end it seems that we had upgrades in our system and overnight we just could sense an urgency that time was going faster that we were speeding up with our consciousness and people really started searching for each other and searching for information i mean how many people do we know since 2012 that have become information junkies I mean, they just can't get enough of information about everything. They spend hours and hours on their computers. They're hurting their health by doing that, by the way. But something in them won't stop. They can't stop themselves from going on Google and and searching and looking at YouTubes. And I mean, people are just, they're hungry for the truth. That's what it is. They're just hungry for the truth. Well, sure. Well, you know, every time I wake up, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Right. You know, when you wake up, you're hungry. Yeah. And finding each other, working together, accepting each other, getting beyond polarity and standing in support of the planet, of the environment, of each other, knowing your own truth. This is all part of what has really been accelerating since since 2012. That's right. So I've, I've gotten to the end of my questions here, and I'm, I'm looking at the time. So if there was anything that you would like to say in conclusion. Yes, I'd like to talk just uh, briefly about the Teton meetings. Uh, there are some things that happen at these Teton meetings that I've, I'm not allowed to talk about. But I do want to say that in the next six months, for people that are really working on themselves, find out what you're most fearful about look at look at yourself and say what do i fear the most because you need to take care of whatever is sitting on the shelf ready to jump down and bite you because if you have a fear then it has you already so you need to find out the places in you that will knock you off your center because there'll be things that will be happening in the next couple of years where you don't have time to get knocked off your center because of some fear pattern that that you haven't taken care of. Maybe it comes from childhood. Maybe it comes from parents. Maybe it comes from, well, who knows where it comes from. But acknowledge in yourself the places where you're vulnerable. And the minute you find out where you're vulnerable, find ways of taking care of it. Either erase it, transmute it, have someone help you with it. But it needs to change before you step into your true power because the things that will be coming down for us on the planet in the next couple of years, you need to have that taken care of. 
so that no matter what happens, your system will not take the jolt. Nothing will hit your fear button. That's very useful and helpful insight. And certainly, you know, everybody's got something. And it, it is always good to take a look at that, even if it's not fun. Yeah. Because it's easier to deal with it at, with your choosing Yeah. than having to deal with it when you weren't, uh, you know, when it just kind of blows up in your face. Right. So it's always better to deal with something with your own timing. That's right. Well, Lavendar, I want to thank you so much for sharing your enormous wisdom, knowledge, and experiences with us. And we will have, from time to time, more interviews with Lavendar as uh, as we come up with more questions. And I just want to thank everyone for listening from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy. And we will see you next week. Until then, stand in your own light and then share it with others. Well, that is the end of our presentation for this evening, and we thank you for listening. We will be back um, next week. And until then, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being on the planet. And take a moment each day to focus on all you have to be grateful for. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.